we've just heard Christ's grand finale of instruction. It falls right after Christ's entrance into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, signaling that he will be a just ruler and the overthrowing of the money changers' tables in the temple. And then right before the Last Supper and the cross. Here Jesus tells a series of parables about living responsibly in order to prepare for his final coming. And he ends with this parable or apocalyptic prophecy about the final judgment. Now just as the creation story in Genesis does not reflect exactly how the world was created, this is not a literal account of end times. But it does provide us with a deep truth about what is most important to God, justice. But since the early church, there has been a debate about who exactly Jesus is referring to here as the least of these people. Are the least of these those who Jesus has sent out to spread the gospel with only their clothes on their backs, dependent on the goodwill of those who they evangelize to? Or do the least of these refer to all those who are most vulnerable in God's world? Then doesn't this sound a lot like works righteousness faith? Where, where you have to do something to be saved? Where does grace come in? So after reading a number of commentaries, I got curious about what our Presbyterian father, John Calvin, would say about Matthew 25. Calvin explains as far as works, go, works for salvation goes, well, the sheep are asked to inherit the kingdom prepared since the foundation of the world. Yep, the sheep have been preordained. But we, the sheep, are expected to respond to God's saving grace by caring for others. Not too far off from a lot of commentaries, but Calvin also connects this parable to Ezekiel 34, as few others do. And this helps us to answer who the least of them are, who is the stranger, and who is in prison. I remember the first time I came across Ezekiel 34. It was about 16 years ago when I was at a time in my life where I was faithfully doing daily devotions because it was the only way I could get through life. Anyway, I sat down at my living room table and was directed to read parts of Ezekiel 34, and I ended up reading the whole chapter as my mind was racing. Wait a minute. Just wait a minute. Hold it. Um, judging between sheep and sheep, rams and goats. Huh. Sounds like Jesus picked up an idea or two from Ezekiel. That part in Matthew 25 doesn't sound like such an original idea, now does it? What gives? Jesus, were you plagiarizing? At that moment, I made a link between Matthew 25 and Ezekiel 34. But for the people Jesus was addressing, they already had that link, as did Jesus. When Jesus talked about the shepherd dividing the sheep and the goats, they remembered the Old Testament prophets who reminded the rulers and leaders that it was their job to tend for their flocks. In fact, throughout the ancient Near East, the metaphor of the good shepherd who tends his flock was a familiar one, not just in Israel. 
People understood about shepherding. They knew at night a good shepherd separates the sheep and goats. When Jesus told this parable, they linked it to Ezekiel where it read, Ah, you shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatling, but you do not feed the sheep. You have not strengthened the weak. You have not healed the sick. You have not bound up the injured. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? But must you tread down with your feet on the rest of the pasture? When Jesus said, I was hungry, thirsty, sick, and imprisoned, they linked to Isaiah 58, another prophet who said, Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of injustice, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor? Bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them. They link to Psalm 82 that says, Give justice to the weak and the orphan. Maintain the right of the lowly and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hands of the wicked. Without a doubt, Jesus' story is inextricably linked to the prophetic voice of God, the Holy One, who is on the side of the poor and the oppressed. Now, the people who heard Jesus lived under the threat of Rome, which attempted to keep peace and their upper-class prosperity through violence and domination. They also lived under the crushing thumb of Herod and the rich priestly class who made most of their wealth off cuts from inflated temple dues, the sale of sacrifices, and loans made with usury interest rates, loans that were taken out by people to survive to meet the temple tax and to offer sacrifices to God. Jesus spoke to a class of people who were being pushed by the flank shoulder, and horns of greed into a no-win situation of poverty, oppression, and voicelessness. The rich were getting richer and the poor poorer. Leaders were not caring for the people's interests as a shepherd is meant to protect his flock. To the early church, the message that Jesus considered himself one of the poor and oppressed Jesus considered himself one of the poor and pressed, was empowering, and at the same time, those in power realized who Jesus was pointing a finger at. This was a call for justice, a call for fairness and rightness for the least of them within a larger corrupt system. Jesus' message gave them both hope for the future, strength for the present, and a call for a life of mutual caring. And it does the same for us. It is also interesting to note that Matthew 25 speaks as much to what we haven't done as to what we are called to do. Today's world really doesn't seem that far off from the time of Christ or even Ezekiel. 
entering the holiday season with this lectionary passage, this parable calls for us to reboot ourselves and connect with Scripture's prophetic call to hit that reset button and think about what we will emphasize as we celebrate Christ's birth and what our goals will be for the coming new year. We are asked to contemplate who are the hungry and thirsty, who is naked, sick, and in prison, who needs our help, and who are we called to speak up for. And this just isn't a personal parable, but a corporate one. There is no getting around the fact that Jesus is talking to all the nations and power structures. And we are also called to identify examine and speak out against social structures. The powers and principality is what the Bible calls them. The powers and principalities that oppress people. It is a call to do both charity and justice work. Advocacy. African-American biblical scholar Obrey Hendricks feels that within these verses you get to the crux of the matter of why Jesus was made flesh and dwelt among us. By the measure given here, it is not our religious practice, knowing our Bible or church attendance by which our lives are judged, but as Hendricks states, it is simply whether we have tried to relieve the plight of the hungry and dispossessed and those stripped of their freedom, whether we have tried to change this war-torn world to a world free from oppression and exploitation so that all of God's children might have life and that life more abundantly. This parable is a powerful message as we sit in our nation's worst economic crisis since the Great Depression and millions of people across socioeconomic lines are adversely affected, many of whom are friends and family. Literally, millions of jobs have been lost, and we are on the brink of losing more. Churches across our country are being asked to clothe and feed many who have never before been in such need of circumstances. And as we face the consumerism of Christmas, in light of this country's excesses, many of us are asking if we have been chasing the right goals and dreams and just how complacent we have been about greed. It could be said that the church has remained silent and even participated as a DVD called Greed Gone Wild played out. And now we're surprised about how messed up things are. Gandhi's saying, there is enough in this world for everyone's need, but there is not enough in this world for anybody's greed rings clearly. Yet, as we closely watch what Congress and our own state legislation will do with various economic packages, we are called to recognize that the poorest, the least of them, still do not have a voice. Matthew 25 asks, do we really see the weak and those living in oppression Do we really listen to the poor? Do we really see the ravages of poverty? Do we work for both charity and justice? Do we advocate for the least of them? 
A few summers ago, I had the privilege to attend the Children's Defense Fund Child Advocacy Week in Clinton, Tennessee, also known as the Samuel E. Proctor Institute. There, I was the minority and was exposed to a different and important voices that definitely stretched me beyond my usual Presbyterian environment and theology. There, I had the opportunity to hear the Reverend Dr. Otis Moss, Jr., retired senior pastor of Olivet Institutional Baptist Church in Cleveland, who is also a former lieutenant in the civil rights movement under Martin Luther King, Jr. Listen listen to his powerful paraphrase and his perspective of Christ's parable. I was hungry, and you told me vegetable, and you told me ketchup was a vegetable. I was sick, and you sent me to an emergency, and I spent half the night in emergency, and then you discovered I was uninsured, and you sent me to another hospital. And because I was hemorrhaging in mind, body, and spirit, by daylight, I was dead. I was a stranger. I was a stranger. And you gave me alienation. You gave me marginalization. You even criminalized me and named me illegal alien. But after giving me a consignment to alienation and criminalization, you then used me for economic exploitation. But on your northeastern border of your vineyard, you put up a sign that said, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. But on the southern side of your border, you would not take me in. I was naked, and you discussed at your country club the immorality of my appearance, but you left me naked. I was thirsty and and hungry, and again you gave me ketchup for breakfast, donuts for lunch, and a soft drink for dinner, but it was hard, and it sent me into the world of diabetic. But then you debated my qualification for adequate medical care. Now, when did we do all of this? Inasmuch as you did it to the youngest among you at the sunrise of their lives, and determined beforehand what would happen to them at high noon, and what the conditions would be at sunset, you did it to me. Now, I realize what I read brings up a myriad of thoughts and emotions. But Christ clearly asks us to look, see, and listen to those in need and hear their perspective and to listen to different perspectives. And as I've said before, I'll readily admit I don't have all the answers. No one does. And this discussion quickly gets very complicated and often very heated. We need to realize that people are going to have different opinions and calls in reaching out to those in need. But I do think when we're asking the questions and debating and working through our differences and seeking answers of how to help the least of them, that we're on the right track. So I'd like to suggest a few practical steps to reboot your holiday season. One, together as a family or as an individual, read through and talk about our denomination's Declaration of Faith, a document which this church's former pastor, Al Wynn, and others from Union Seminary worked on. 
Just search for Declaration of Faith on the PCUSA website and watch how many times justice is mentioned. It is an amazing piece of work that can reboot one's faith and reset how we see the importance of Christ as we enter the holiday season. And while you're at it on that website, check out our denomination's social creed for the 21st century. This creed offers a vision for a society that is compatible with Christ's prophetic message to care for the least of them. These two documents are wonderful places to start to ponder the importance of justice and advocacy work along with our church's works of mercy and charity. Then two, make a commitment to follow a daily devotional throughout Advent season and watch for those devotional materials that will be available around church. You might choose to follow also the internet devotional D. 365.org. It's an excellent, they have an excellent Advent devotional called Follow the Star. Shane Claiborne, a prophetic young man, observes in his powerful and rather humorous book, The Irresistible Revolution. Shane writes, Jesus did not seek out the rich and powerful in order to trickle down his kingdom. Rather, he joined those at the bottom, the outcast and undesirables, and everyone was attracted to his love for people on the margins. When we spend time with those in need and really see and hear them, sometimes within our own midst, we get to know those living in captivity as real people. And Shane writes, that's when things get messy. When people begin moving beyond charity and towards justice and solidarity with the poor and oppressed, as Jesus did, they get into trouble. But that's also when joy and new life is discovered. When we give up our life to follow Christ, we gain a new life of joy and meaning. Christ calls us to to usher in God's reign here on earth. We are called not only to believe in Christ, but to follow Christ. And this parable brings home the fact that there really was no silent night when all was bright and all was calm. But we are called to trust and sing like there will be and live in such a way that Christ's love will shine brightly on all. May it be so. Amen. Will you pray with me? Lord God, the Old Testament and New Testament reminds us that your world is in need of love, that we are called to care for the least of them, that in the world it is very difficult to find a time or a night when all is silent and bright and calm. But help us to live and sing in a way with our lives that we recognize Jesus Christ as King and bring about God's reign here on earth. Amen.